Well, good morning, LCM. Today's date is June 18th, 2023, and it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, guys. As you might have expected, our sermon today will be beer and football themed all the way through. No, 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 that's not it at all. Today, we're going to continue to build on the momentum that Adonai has created in this congregation. Our Father has given us insight into the spiritual warriors, the leaders, the fathers that are currently in this church. That is what you currently are, and we know that there is more to come. Can somebody say amen? Amen. You are rising in every way in your capacity to lead in your homes, your workplaces, and even among the brotherhood. You will impart the same spirit into the generations that are watching you now. Saints, I'm going to take a minute to throw a gratuitous plug in to my father, who is not here at this moment, but will listen to this recording. But as you hear it, contemplate what is in your future as you produce generations of righteous warriors. Proverbs 17:6, Daddy says this, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. I want to say publicly for all to hear, The pride of my life is in seeing what my father has accomplished. And his crown is not just in grandchildren that are naturally sitting on the front row here. It is in generations of spiritual grandchildren that have spread out across the world because you fought to make sons into equals who have done the same. And I could not be more proud of the man that you are. Amen. Now, saints, this morning our title is Purchased for God. You know that we have been in a season of evoking the warrior within the men of this congregation and rallying together to conquer new ground and new territory. Well, saints, in our stalwart march, he has put us into direct conflict with enemies. Things like internal and external taunts in our lives. Disparities that we are defeating by making equals. Diacrino or distinction between members of the body of Christ. These are enemies that we are proud to say we have been putting underfoot. Amen. The men of this house have been victorious at every single turn and have made more progress in the last few months than could have been guessed in anyone's wildest dreams. You have risen to become a new generation of men with a conquering spirit inside of you. And you will pass it on to those who are coming after you. A new generation of spiritual sons that have a different spirit just like you. Amen. Saints, are you a conquering church? Are you a victorious church? Well, speaking of a generation of victorious fathers and spiritual sons, I just got back last week from visiting Chicago. That northern camp of the army that is the one association of churches. And I return with a report to rejoice about. Our vision to reach the Balkans, to stretch into the Middle East and landing in Jerusalem, it's becoming more clear each and, each and every day. Come on. It is also displaying a multi-church unity within this one vision that God has given us. So all of the pastors and elders of the arising church want to send their greetings and love to you guys. And with fathers and generations of spiritual sons in view. The Piros couldn't be more thrilled about the future of our partnership with all the churches. Amen. And 
even in special proximity to the Morrison family. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah. Chloe, can I get an amen from you way back there in the sound booth? <laughs> it's amazing. You could see Chloe blushing even behind that monitor that she's operating for us. Saints, it is quite clear that the good father is matching the new vision that we've received with the equipping required to take the new ground. The men and women of this church, as well as our brother churches, have endured trials of many kinds, stood in the faith, and are being equipped through these very experiences. You are becoming the brave and free men and women that your father has always destined you to be. Can you feel the, the approval of God on that very statement there? Look around the room, church. We were all once lost and without hope in various nations and backgrounds. But now you have been reconciled back to God Come and on. consecrated for his purposes. Amen. In many ways, the community that we participate in is an earthly representation of the kingdom that is to come. Your lives are modeling what the city of God will look like. And it is a bright, shining witness to a lost and dying world around you. We're going to begin this sermon in the ultimate picture of the city or the community of God this morning. Because it is your destiny. And we want to show you a very clear picture. So turn with us to the book of Revelation. Singular Revelation. Verse, I mean, uh, chapter 21. Say purchase for God as you turn. Look, as you're turning there, we're going to pick up in the 10th verse. It's important for you to know that Revelation pictures what we will be. And in this lifetime, we are modeling to the world all around us what is to come. So verse 10 says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Look, the following verses, they're going to be a picture of the construction and materials used in the city of God that is coming down upon the earth. The kingdom of God is always displayed as coming down to the earth. Saints, we're not waiting to go to an off-world spiritual existence. What our Father was teaching us to pray is that the kingdom of God would come here. In this life, we are forcefully laboring to the end of seeing the kingdom of God established on the very earth. Now, as we move to verse 14, I want you to notice specifically what the foundation of the city of God is. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So clearly, Israel is the foundation of the gospel plan and will always be, even into eternity. Written on the 12 foundations are the names of the 12 chosen apostles of Christ, who in many ways were not a sight to behold when Christ actually chose them. They were, however, radically transformed and developed into his ambassadors, and they served to expand his kingdom to the rest of the world. That's why they serve as foundations. In many ways, the 12 foundational apostles and their disciples represent the original purpose and plan of God for Israel. Namely, that through Abraham and the other nations of the world, that all together would be reconciled back to God. Israel has always possessed this God-ordained design, and in different periods of history, you can see that their implementation of this design, it varied greatly. <laughs> On a personal level, we 
all should hold a great appreciation for these 12 Jewish men. These men who did rise to become all that Israel was destined to be. Their foundational work is the very thing that we are all standing on right now. It's true. So let's move on to verse 19 and let's begin to see what else was included in the design of God's holy city. So let's look at verse 19 of Revelation 21. It says, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. See, many of you may not be aware that Revelation 7 parallels this passage that we're reading to you. In Revelation 7 and verse 4, it begins with the 12 foundational tribes of Israel. Then in verse 9, it moves to the multitude from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language that have joined Israel around the very throne of God. Now here in this verse, you can see the every kind of precious stone here in Revelation 21 is the people of God from every nation that have been redeemed and consecrated in their unique purposes. These precious stones are the people from every tribe, every language, every nation, every tongue that have been assembled as they've been redeemed and consecrated. The holy city is not complete without the addition of polished and perfected stones taken from all over the world. As we said earlier, this body in many ways is an example of what is to come. I mean, just look around you, see the nationalities, the different backgrounds, the different ethnicities that are here. It is a small glimpse of what the holy city is and what it will be. And we are building it right here on the earth. See, there's not only a diversity of people groups in the room, there's also a diversity of callings, right? There's a diversity of God-ordained functions that each of you have been designed with that are all required. Somebody say, it's required. Each one of you are required for us to complete the holy city. Saints, this morning we're not going to be satisfied with your intellect. I want your hearts and I want you to be fully with me. Say, it's required that we have every stone. That we have every stone. Saints, the holy city is one city, not cities, one city. The people of God are to be united with Israel as the foundation, but many precious stones from different nations, different cuts, different colors, so that God's city is complete. What we're saying this morning is that God designed every one of you uniquely on purpose, and every single one of you is needed in this work. Saints, you will remember that Israel is, of course, the foundation of this city. We said it earlier, but I'm going to repeat it. Through Abraham, through Israel, the nations of the world were to be reconciled back to God. What was promised to Abraham was that all nations would be blessed through him. Now that you've been adopted, now that you have experienced what it looks like to be reconciled back to God in his divine grace, well... We are now included in the original family function that is to reconcile the world back to God. We represent Adonai as an extension of a long line of the faithful proclaiming the goodness of God. And we are rising in our God-ordained function and callings to the very fullest capacity. We're going to look at Revelation 5-9 together and I'm going to read it to you. It says, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Saints, for a moment, can we just say, Jesus is worthy? He's worthy. worthy. 
because you were slain and with you, you, your blood purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Saints, the heavens themselves are declaring the worthiness of God. And it is because he was slain and with his blood, he purchased men for God. Saints, our father has adopted us. And the truth is that everyone in this room is deeply, deeply in debt. Saints, we don't mean the staggering national debt that we have accrued in our current administration. We mean the debt that we owe to Christ, the King of Israel, the one who purchased us from slavery to make us into his sons and into his servants. Pieces of his holy city. Saints, we are all men who have been purchased for God. You know, when you begin to think about your own experience, when you were purchased with, for, God, for God, when that blood of the Lamb was placed upon your soul and your conscience was made clean. I mean, think about it. That radical transformation where sin was no longer your master, but now it has become your subject. That in an instant... You were standing in the holy presence of God as a holy son or daughter of God. Do you remember what that felt like? Do you remember that transition from death into life? That in a snap, it was done. That freedom was there. Now you could also be able to read his word and actually understand it. Anytime someone would quote a passage uh, beforehand, you might as well be reading uh, some other foreign language that whose characters you can't make out. But now you had eyes to see. Now you had ears to hear. And someone could look in your eyes and see the very fire and presence of God that was now burning bright within you. Do you remember those days of having eyes that were hollow and dark and now have been turned into glorious light? Look, not to mention many of you guys have walked into this church and your very first attendance, you were nothing more than a hot mess. Oh, come on. Somebody say amen to that. You know that's true. Now, particularly, I'm talking about those of you who walked in here and you were already married. Your marriage oh. was more than a hot mess. Yep. It was a train wreck. Yeah, we're going there. But don't you recall that moment when God reached down and he began to transform your marriage? Come on. When he turned it from death and now into producing life that flows from it. Oh, not to mention some of you guys who walked in either with kids that were full of chaos or you were a kid full of chaos. And there was that transformation. Oh, Levi's raising his hand. Brother, you born in this house. So you're a son. He's in progress. <laughs> but don't you remember? You walked in and there was so much that had to be changed and transformed. But there came that wrestling with the truth. You know how to kind of start sometimes, pastors? Is that you listen to messages such as these or have one-on-one -on -one conversations and you just really, really get upset at the truth that's being spoken. You know, little kids throw a tantrum, but also adults do as well. You hate what we're saying because it's so true. You don't want it to be true. And finally, when you have a face-to-face -face confrontation with the living God, you fall upon your face. And then in an instant, you rise as a new creation. That 
the, the sin nature you were born with was no longer the identity that you live with. Instead, it was the Father's identity at work inside of you. And everyone could bear witness that you were his sons because you produce the same kind of deeds that he has. Come on now, church. This is life-changing ministries. We don't have a membership role. You are the letters. Your life are the letters that show that God has moved in you, that God has done something in you. So you, being having been adopted into the holy family of God, you cannot rest until every other nation has sons represented before the throne of God. Now, come on, let us get real with you here today. Can we tell you that our king did not purchase you based on where you were when he found you? I mean, Romans chapter 5 comes to mind. At just the right time, while you were still sinners, while you were powerless, what did he do? He came and purchased you to make you holy and powerful. Somebody say, he purchased me. He purchased me. He purchased you so you would be holy and powerful. So that you could partner with him as his body of Christ on the earth. Now what is your responsibility based on that? So you could be purchasing other sons with the price of your own life. So they could be brothers in the house of God with one father. Come on now. Now we want to put on a slide for you. And let you consider what it looks like for a man to go from being caustic. Caustic. Everybody's like, what is that word? Corrosive. Poisoned. There we go. Caustic. And we're going to show you what it looks like for someone to become consecrated as he awakens to the God-ordained task on his life. So you can see on our first slide here entitled, Purchased for God. Saints, what this is, is a glimpse into the life of the Apostle Paul, a man who was caustic, I mean, a persecutor of the body of Christ, but had a radical transformation and was adopted into the Holy Family. And then his life demonstrated as consecrated. You'll see first here, was Paul insatiable or was he ambitious for kingdom conquest? Well, in his recounting in Acts 26, 11, he was obsessed against the church of God, even going to foreign cities to persecute them. See, but after God consecrated his design, began to move inside of him, developed what he had purchased. Well, then he became ambitious to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. You see our next one here. Was he an enabler or was he a champion of others? Well, yes, it depends on when you find him in his life. In Acts 8, 1, he's there giving approval to the death of Stephen, enabling the men who are stoning him. But in 1 Timothy 4, he's championing the cause of Timothy, telling this young man, command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you're young. What you may be noticing here is there's a theme. There is a original design. One that was caustic when it was up to Paul and up to Satan what he did with it. And one that was consecrated when it was directed by God. Next, you'll see merciless or impartial. Well, in Acts 22.4, Paul is shown to be arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Can somebody say that's merciless? However, in Acts 17.30, which we covered on Tuesday... You saw that he commands all people to repent in the name of Jesus Christ. 
I say that's impartial. As you go on to blindly led or respectful of authority, you find out that in Acts 22, Paul is following the direction of the high priest, working within their authority channel, taking a letter from them to go persecute the people of Christ. But in Acts 15, he's found at a different kind of council with a different kind of authority, and he's going out with a letter that is freedom in Christ. Lastly, is he relentless? Well, yes, that's how God designed him to be. In Christ or not, he is a relentless man. In Acts 26, you've already seen, he is pursuing them, even trying to force them to blaspheme. But, oh man, in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. No, I work harder than all. Saints, Paul genuinely is one of the finest examples and that his consecration process was dramatic. I mean, it was stark instantaneously. He is performing a different function with the same design. It was like turning on a light switch in a dark place. Do you remember when a light switch went off in your own life? I mean, these pastors talked about the day your marriage began to turn around. Even children. I remember children who were not a blessing in this house at all. And today they're pastors. Saints, the power of God to transform a man's life is an extraordinary thing. Paul was immediately set to work reconciling the world back to God so that they could be consecrated unto God's purposes for their lives as well, just like Paul was. His life demonstrated what it looked like to purchase men for God through the sacrifice of your own life and body. Because you and Paul were indeed purchased by Jesus Christ and owe it to him. Isn't it good to have the word of God highlight the transformation of a man's life force? We get, we get an idea of what it looks like. When you're considering the lives of amazing men like Paul and the 12 foundation apostles, you must remember that you are reading just the snapshots of their development over the course of years, not minutes that it takes you to read between verses. They were engaged in a process of consecration that grew throughout their entire lifetime until they were boldly free in all that God had designed them to be. Come on. In fact, in the example of Paul's life, was he zealous for the law? Yes. Yes. And was, was it, wasn't he doing what he believed to be what was right? Yes. However, he was misguided. That was the problem. When he received a supernatural deposit on the road to Damascus and Jesus was revealed to him in a personal way, that wasn't the end of his story. That transformation that happened right then and there where he personally was turned from darkness and into light. It's just the beginning. He went through times of testing after that. He experienced times of further revelation and actually had help from the brotherhood that produced the unique stone within the city of God that then he became as a part of it. Come on, so there's something that we want you to notice about Paul's process of consecration. We have a slide here that's still on the screen to show you that process. His life before and after the appearing of Jesus has vivid and sharp contrast. But he did not cease to be what God had originally designed him to be. Come on. He received the appropriate application for his design and went to work purchasing other men for God with his own life, with the sacrifice that he daily exemplified. He was developed along the way as he 
applied what Christ had given him in the effort to save and consecrate others. Yeah, that was better than you got. It's all right. We're going to help you, though. Did you notice something? Did you notice that Paul's insatiable nature was consecrated into holy and powerful ambition for kingdom conquest? His enablement of sin in others was consecrated into holy and powerful, being a champion of others, the championship of other men. His merciless actions were consecrated into holy and powerful impartiality in the presentation of the gospel to some people. No. No, 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 no. To all people. Say all people. All people. Paul's blind following of authority was consecrated into holy and powerful respect for the right authority. His relentlessness to destroy the work of God was consecrated. Somebody say consecrated. Consecrated. Into holy and powerful relentlessness to advance the gospel. See, what we're getting at here is that you were designed by God with certain attributes that are not meant to be suppressed. They're not meant to be conformed. You are not to be chained by fear and the commonly held expectations of a good Christian man. You are not supposed to be what the world is influencing you to be. Think about it as a child. When you talk to, when you find a young treester male. Any of them. Any of them. Just pick one of them. These boys have daring hopes. They have dreams that what do they want to be? They want to be a lion killer. They, they want to be something bold like a warrior. They want to be a champion. You're not supposed to quench that. You're not supposed to pr- suppress that. Forget about only children. Men in this room, look up at me. Women in this room, you will not be here, here in this church because you just want to go along and get along. You are here because there's a holy aspiration an inspiration that you feel that you and your family and your children and their children can do something powerful in the kingdom of God. So what causes this to change inside of us? See, sin has tried to suppress your God-ordained design. Let me just say it plainly for you. No man is designed by God to be selfish or complacent. That's not how God made you. Fear has pressured you to conform. What am I saying? That no man in here, look up at me, man. No man in here is designed by God to be timid. No man in here is designed to be small or weak. It's not your personality. Oh, I'm just an introvert. Shut up. God has not made you an introvert, which just means that you are timid and fearful and you've accepted it. God has a design for you and you're supposed to rise up like the man of God, like the warrior that you really are. I will lovingly punch you right in the throat if you tell me that you're an introvert after this. So the altar call will be to give Pastor Wade a hug. Get close to him. Hey, here's something else. That failure has chained you to your fears. No man in this house is designed and destined to be safe. 
You are not designed to be powerless. The reason that you're safe is because there's been failures in your past and you're afraid you can't do it. So you call it some type of earthly wisdom, which is demonic and unspiritual. But there is a wisdom that comes from the heavens that says, I know that I've been designed by God for a reason. It's not just a few of us in this room that are designed to be warriors. This is a house that raises up men who know what it's like to be holy and powerful in God's presence. Saints, the biblical model of an idyllic male, one who is consecrated unto God's design, is capable of writing poetry and psalms, is capable of wearing an ephod as a priest, who is referred to both as a king, priest, warrior, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Saints, in this house, what we're fighting for is not to mold you into something that you're not. It's to cause you to awaken to the godly design that he always called you to be. We want you to take new ground in every area. Women, you were designed by God to be a holy queen at your king's side with princes in the land that are your pride. Saints, the only thing that ever inside of you wars against that is the sinful conformity that we've picked up over time. We're going back to the biblical design. This is a house filled with fathers, and you were purchased by God to be completely holy, completely free, and powerful in the design that your father gave you. You are unique gems or stones that are intended to have a vivid beauty that stems from your diverse but consecrated natures, as one unified image of the city of God, which is the people of God on earth. The Tanakh is replete with statements like Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Saints, when you look at this passage... Realize that you were formed by God for his purposes, his will to be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. And notice the last part of the verse, wonderful are your works. This is certainly an acclamation of Adonai's sovereign workings, but it is also the psalmist rejoicing in his participation of these works as a man designed by God to accomplish them. In a similar way, Jeremiah remarks in chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And get this, before you were born, I consecrated you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You know that we are made in God's image. And he is the owner, ruler, and controller of all. That means the very hand of God that fashioned you, fashioned the purpose for you on day one. The only thing that has happened is that sin began to creep in and try to destroy that purpose that was originally consecrated. But oh, thank us for the blood of Jesus. That because of that, that purpose is now consecrated back unto God and begins to fulfill the will and actions of God. You were all born with a consecrated design that is to be holy, free, and powerful. Let's make sure we get that. Say holy. Holy. Free. Free. And powerful. Powerful. So when your king purchased you, he was not just purchasing only what you were at that time. That would be a bad investment. Right. 
He was purchasing the very design he gave you and all that he knew you would grow and become. We must learn to make the same investment in those who are immediately around us because we owe a debt to the one who purchased us knowing that what we would become as a result of his workings inside of us. Look, just to comment on that for a moment, because what Pastor Matthew is giving you is a key to success in so many areas. When you get it into your head and you begin to understand that God is the one that designed you, other things have clouded it, shrouded it, but it is your job to dig it up, find what God has made you to be, and grow it. Man, your pastoring of your wife will never be the same. Yeah. There is no such thing as an issue or dislike of a woman's body in her own mind or in yours when as husbands of God, you recognize, no, baby, it is God who formed every inch of you from head to toe. He is the one who made you, and he fashioned you and gave you to me, and you are enough for me. I am pleased. There is no such thing as resenting a child who has different behaviors. You look at him and see the godly design that is there and recognize your responsibility to develop it and bring it out. You don't need children that are different. You need to develop the children that you have. Oh, saints, when we're talking about our relationships with one another, it is time that we cease disliking differences and recognize the godly design in one another and help each other bring it out so that we can be elevated as equal brothers who know how to operate in that God-ordained design. Look, let me give you some hope this morning. Our God that we serve and whose presence dwells within, within us is the same God on day one, let's just say Genesis 1-1, who made the heavens and the earth. And everything that he makes is good. Now, even in a fallen state of tohu vavohu, of being void and empty, our God is still the same God who can reach down and gather the original purpose of earth, redeem it, restore it, put it back in right order, and put his image upon it. How much more then can God reach down into your situation? How much more can God reach into those that are around you that looks chaotic, flooded with sin, and he can shine his light and bring about life from the dead. Somebody say, that's good. that's good. See, what's more is that you've been given the awesome task of passing on the holiness, the freedom, the power that you have received from Christ as men purchased by him. And you're going to translate that to another generation of men that will rise to become your brothers. Come on. There's a newfound freedom and power in scores of family in this room because you are recognizing your godly design more and more every day. And you're beginning to put it into practice more and more every day. Can you agree with Pastor Wade? Yeah. Have you watched your brothers take new strides, stand up in leadership and minister to the body? As you're doing this, as you're ministering to others and aiding them in consecrating their design, it's causing you to thrive. See, just as in the life of Paul, the act of fighting for those who are still powerless, bringing them into the body of Christ on earth as holy, free, and powerful brothers actually serves to aid you in the process of consecrating your godly design. See, you were knit together in your mother's womb to perform works that were already prepared in advance for you to do on behalf of the other sons that Christ would call. Now, it's probably time that we address a carnal concern, one that arises in many when we speak about the godly design in this way. So let me be clear. 
In no way are we saying that a sinful behavior in your unregenerate state should be carried into the kingdom of God. That's caustic. Furthermore, we're not precluding what Christ will create in a man that he has never experienced before coming into the kingdom. What we are saying is that Yahweh has a design for you, one that was there from the time that you were in your mother's womb. And you may have been unaware of it up to this point, but he will reveal it and then help you develop it into a consecrated use for his purposes. Saints, how many of you never knew that you would be able to preach publicly one day? And yet you do again and again. How many of you had no idea what worship was or conceived of the idea that you would participate in leading it? How many of you, whether you were born in a church or not, never knew you would spend your days administering the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Or stand in all courage and witness to your co-workers in a room filled with nothing but lost people? See, the reality is God will give you the ability to do things that you did not have prior to going on the consecration journey. But you were designed to be able to do that from the beginning. You're just awakening to the godly design of what men and women of Christ should look like. The limiting factors are the things that have stolen from your design by trying to conform you into an image other than Christ. These conforming forces come in many forms, but chief of them being your own doubts of success. For most, sinful failings of the past continue to propagate failure in the future just by convincing you not to try and step out in faith. You are each precious stones. Men and women, say this with me. I, I am precious. Am precious. The Bible defines you as precious stones, unique in your facet, that must be developed and polished until you are consecrated to your full potential as men and women of God. Amen. And this is because you will spend your life helping others do the same. Amen. Pastor Matthew, we've been preaching on Romans 8, Romans 9, Romans 10. We even hit 11 for a little while and somehow I feel Whoa. like we're just missing the mark, man. Whoa. Like we have to go to Romans 12. You know where to go. Say purchase for God as you turn. Purchase, purchase for God. Now when Pastor Judah gave you the direction to say out loud, I am precious. Did you believe it? Yes. If you're struggling to, to believe it, we're giving you the charge and scriptural command that you must. You were worthy enough for the blood of Jesus to purchase. And he sees you as precious. Andrew Hayes, shout out loud, I am precious. I am precious. Yes, you are, baby. Come on. <laughs> Romans 12, verse 1. Here we go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So as holy, free, and powerful men, we don't let 
our familiarity with this passage obscure the novel application of the passage. You were made to be the representation of Christ on earth. You were made to be his agent right here. The very one that purchases and consecrates others into that same agency through the means of sacrifice. The things that are trying to conform you daily go far beyond out and out sinful practices. They are the things that cause you to lower your expectations as a biblical man or woman. It's a compromise. You are designed by God to be a powerful agent of change everywhere that you go. Notice that everything about this pleasing act of worship that allows you to be incorporated as a stone in the city of God, it requires outward force. Come on. To be a precious stone, you are being consecrated through the means of having outward force. Well, the passage itself is going to go on to show you what happens in as internal consecration does its work in a man's design. Come on. And listen carefully. That internal consecration leads to external edification. Yeah. I'm going to say it again. Yeah. That internal consecration leads to external edification in every area of a man and woman's life. So before we get into our next verses, let me help you with this internal consecration. Who in this room is filled with the very spirit of God? Saints, all over this room, I see it growing and rising every week. Have you ever noticed that you're able to do some things when you're filled with the spirit of holiness that are just not the norm? It's like on a missions trip, you became a bold, lion-like evangelist. But somehow it feels different when you're on different soil. Saints, that is the spirit of holiness consecrating you. And you are operating in the design that you've already had since the day you were born. You're just empowered in it because all other motivations have been moved. When you're worshiping together and we're all in the presence of God and suddenly you can prophesy in a way that you couldn't earlier... It's not because your design has changed. It's because something internally in you has gotten aligned, consecrated with the will of God. And you are now in shalom and right order with him, able to represent him, which produces something on the outside. World changing power and a witness of the gospel. Come on, see how Romans 12 continues in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. Everyone. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Don't think that you're so special that what we're saying doesn't apply directly to you. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, Form one body. Somebody say one body. One body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Who got that grace? Each of us did. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. See, to be clear, 
we can and all do serve. We all do and can prophesy or teach or lead. Each of us have been given unique giftings that serve to benefit not just yourself, but the entirety of the collective body of Christ because we all belong to each other. Come on. The major issue at hand is that we have not fully consecrated ourselves to the fullness of the design that we already possess. See, this body is excelling. And it's because we're learning to raise our expectations to meet the Father's design. The brothers and sons who will soon become brothers will all be benefited the more that we learn that learn to tear down all obstacles between us and the fullness of what we were purchased for. Saints, Pastor Matthew is going to take us through verse 9. Are you familiar with the idiom, do not throw the baby out with the bathwater? Yeah, we're going to help you engage with this in the coming verses. The ways in which when you have sinned in an area because you had anger that was not God's, and then you begin to respond by never getting angry. Saints, that's the baby out with the bathwater. We are learning not to be men who are one-dimensional, who are confined to a Christian box, but understand what it looks like to be holy, free, and powerful as men of God. In every area, the fullness of the godly design he has given you, because it is precious in his sight, and every one of your unique designs are needed for the holy city. Come on, if you're a born-again believer that has the blood of Jesus on your soul and his spirit within you, say, I am holy. I am free. I am free. I am powerful. I am powerful. Let's read verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. So we see something at work in this passage. But before we dive into it, we have to understand that after listing, listing the functions of the body of Christ here in Romans, Paul, Paul's clear direction is aimed at how we are to carry out our God-given design. Could you use a little how in this discussion? I know yes. that I could. So it's great. And it's important and foundational to know that we are the members of his body and belong to one another but we need to know the very practical steps of how we interact as a body. Well, that begins with love must be sincere. And I want you to view it through a lens that we're very familiar with. When you're trying to operate in the design that God purchased for you and do not act from a position of consecrated, genuine, and sincere love for his body, you then replace that design with actions that first serve your own carnal interest and benefit. You're operating in this how through Nabal and not through your Abigail traits. So this is practically what it looks like based on the functions of the, the body of Christ interacting with each other listed above. Prophesying for the purpose of your own praise. That is operating in a corruption of God's design. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Amen. Serving to be seen by men and not to God. You don't stop serving. You then proceed to become consecrated. So the original design comes out holy, free, and powerful. How about teaching? Teaching to make yourself feel taller than your pupils. Showing mercy while holding on to a grudge internally the entire time. 
The design God has given you since birth has not changed. It has become corrupted, and therefore it needs to be consecrated. And praise God, we have an avenue to experience that. So I'll give you an example. This very passage hit me right in the center of my soul this past week. When I read Romans 12, 9, and begin to think of the many times of a day when I am not right with God and I'm not right with men, I solely see it as my joyful duty. Oh, let me back up. When I'm looking at this from an operation of my Nabal, and I see love must be sincere, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. I don't see it as something that is to be a blessing from me to others. I see it as a demand and expectation of what others have to be for me. Come on. So it looks something like this. This antithesis to the godly application, when I'm fleshly and carnal, and demand that others love me from a place of sincerity, because I only see that their love is not. I'm being critical. Others must hate what is evil inside of them because that is what I need to justify my own actions towards them. Others have to cling to the good inside of me despite my own fleshly actions. Don't point out my flaws. Only cling to what I am doing right. But when... When I begin to get consecrated, when I'm in right order with God and man, something beautiful begins to happen. I see it as my only joyful duty to love others from a sincere heart through the means of sacrifice of myself for them. To hate what is evil for their sake and not for my own. To cling to what is good in them and more importantly for them. To reach down and pick them up out of the mud and muck of uh, despair. Begin to wash their feet and cling to the good, holy, free, powerful, godly design that is inside of them. And help them see who they really are in Christ. What we're targeting in your hearts this morning is how to be holy, free, and powerful sons and daughters of God. That not only become the unique and unified stones of the holy city, but more importantly, how to make it your primary objective to do the will of God by making others holy, free, and powerful gems in his temple. Man, didn't you love what Pastor Matt just said about verse 9 there in Romans? That idea of if you are not being consecrated, you're saying, yeah, your love needs to be sincere for me. When you're in a consecrated state, you're thinking about your love being sincere for the brotherhood, for those around you. The reality for every believer to grasp is that we are not designed by God to operate as a singular and disconnected part of the body. We all belong to one another. Therefore, your internal consecration is for the purpose of the external edification of the body. You were purchased by the eternal and redeeming blood of the Lamb. When you did not deserve it, it was freely given and therefore it demands that your entire life be dedicated to edifying, listen to what we're saying, the entirety of the body. See, ultimately your God-given design purchased by your heavenly father is not yours to do with as you wish, nor is it to give the conforming forces in the world clay to work with. It is your heavenly father who has the right to shape and draw out of you what he desires. 
We want you to see how this passage continues and it displays the results of that internal consecration and therefore the external edification. Picking up in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Saints, I want to help you grasp this as we continue. You saw earlier as Pastor Matthew read verse 9. With sincere love that we're all called to walk in as we apply our consecrated design. That he could read it totally differently depending on his disposition. Anybody notice that? A polar opposite to the effect is it's your job to do this for me or it is my job to be the servant of all. Saints, it's the same passage. It's the same design of God's scripture. What is required is that we consecrate the design. A solution is not to throw out the scripture. It's to consecrate your inner man. So in the same way, singles in this room, at other points in your lives, prior to coming into Christ, you were sexually immoral. Coming into Christ, you fought to be free of those things, and it's a daily war. You do not throw out the baby with the bathwater and then decide that I am so afraid that I might fail that I'm unwilling to pursue a woman. Can I tell you, you're not destined to be celibate forever, even if you've had failings in the past? God said it is not good for man to be alone, and if you are a man, you should not be alone. This whole thing is about consecrating what God gave you in in sincerity of love, devoting ourselves to one another, and even in persecution. You see the outward radiating nature of this? It starts with you, moves to your brothers, and even outside of the body of Christ. So to bring further clarity to this, when it begins with your personal internal consecration of the godly design, it radiates outward Or you don't really have consecration. Extending it to those within the body of Christ. And even reaching those who oppose Christ outside of this body. In either circumstance your design has not changed. It is just more and more fully manifested. And displays your father's holiness, freedom and power to others. As you learn to be free in that design he gave you. Our father is building a holy city in this house. Of fathers who will be able to stand in the gap for others, elevating them at the cost of their own lives because you know yourself you were purchased. Being in the service of a great king who purchased men for God by his own life means that we, we have been designed to do the same thing as him. Now, as we noted earlier, we saw Paul's progress and we want to examine the life of the original priest and his progress of consecration. Because in many ways, his failings, as well as incredible success, are a model for us all. And as I go through a bit of a summary of it, I want you to notice that when he fails at being a priest because he wasn't fully consecrated, he doesn't throw away his design. He continues in the progress of consecration to the point where he saves all Israel. In Exodus 4, Aaron shows up at just the right time, man, as the God-ordained partner to his brother Moses. Somebody say that's consecration. That's consecration. In the events leading up to the Exodus, Aaron boldly spoke to Pharaoh as God's ambassador. 
The words of God came out of him as the mouthpiece. And he performed many of the miracles that led up to the very release of Israel from bondage. Somebody say that's consecration. That's consecration. Aaron knew he was purchased by God for a purpose. Aaron was on the mountain of God with Moses and the 70 elders of Israel in the very manifestation of God's presence on earth. Aaron was the first of a new priestly line in Israel, one that would teach Israel to be priest to the rest of the world, just like Exodus 19 says. Aaron's God-ordained design was incredible and served to benefit not just his family, but all Israel as it radiated outward and was actively used in Adonai's representation to the nations of the world. Everybody say that's good. That's, that's good. good. The thing is, thing is, what had happened was, what had happened was, that is not all that's true about our brother Aaron. Or us. Very true. Yeah, if it's true about him, it's more true about us. You see, in Numbers 3, two of his sons fall dead because they treated their godly design as priests with flippancy and contempt. How about Exodus 32? Aaron showed flippancy or contempt of his godly design as a mediator between God and man by allowing the people to sin, helping them build a golden calf, and aiding their idolatry. Aaron is an extraordinary man that we look forward to meeting in that age to come. Amen. When we stand in the cloud of witnesses alongside of him. He, however demonstrably used his, his design to benefit the kingdom of God at times and at other times to benefit his own fleshly desires in the form of abdication of teaching with his sons and fearful pleasing of people with the golden calf. In the battle for conformity with the world or transformation, Aaron also demonstrably won. Come on! He overwhelmingly experienced victory. It didn't end with those moments. The passage that we're going to is Numbers 16. And it's not a pretty setting. Nope. But it is the internal consecration of a priest of God that causes external edification for the people of God. Yeah. Israel, in this passage, Numbers 16, they're in rebellion. While Moses and Aaron sacrificially act to redeem the people that Adonai purchased for himself. You will see the design of this priest fully consecrated and on display in a holy, free, and powerful way. Come on, turn with us to Numbers chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 41. Somebody say, purchased for God as you're turning. For God. Numbers chapter 16 in verse 41. But on the next day, somebody say the next day, the next, next day. day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron saying, you, you have killed the people of the Lord on the next day, as in the day after Korah, Dathan and Abiram, their families, those associated with them, and 250 priests all abdicated their godly design and were either swallowed by the earth or consumed by fire from heaven. That's a bad day. That's a bad day. That's not consecration. That's not consecration. But we're talking about the next morning. We're talking about the next day. 
So while destruction may have befell several hundred people who all consorted in caustic behavior, we're talking about a few hundred people. Now, in comparison with this, that's a relatively small number compared to the fact that the entirety of the congregation of Israel is grumbling against Moses and Aaron. You don't like it when your boss gets rough with you? Consider an entire nation coming before you, assembling together for the purpose of grumbling against you. Just two men. Just two men. However, the amassing difficulty will only serve to magnify the glory of God through the design of Moses and Aaron, as they, and they will shine even brighter in the coming verses that are ahead. The manner in which they conduct themselves is an exemplary example to all stones within the city of God. So we've already told you that Aaron has made mistakes, but he has been on a process of consecration. Yeah. As we hit 42, you're going to see him fully consecrated. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, two men, whole nation, they turned toward the tent of meeting. Notice what is happening here. They don't even address the opposition. They turn towards the tent where God's presence yeah. dwells. Yeah. And behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Saints, this congregation has joined in an unholy union against Moses and Aaron. It's funny how they were destined to be unified, but they're being unified around non-consecrated things. And it goes on and says that when they opposed them, they came and turned towards the tent of meeting. See, what is happening under this extreme level of difficulty is that Moses and Aaron are demonstrating the full progress of consecration as they join together in unity, and then they turn towards the tent of meeting towards the Lord. Yeah. They're ignoring the mass of people back here that want to mob them. Their example of standing in unity, not only with each other, but with the Lord, is something that we all should take notice of under trial. Yeah. This is what real priesthood is. Yeah. They do not rely on any self-direction or carnal usage of their design. They instead look to the Spirit in the very words of God to instruct them as to how to use their design. The sovereignty of God in the whole situation, well, it's of a unique magnitude in that it is Adonai who chose Moses and Aaron and placed them in this situation as his ambassadors. His ambassadors have chosen. Somebody say chosen. Chosen. They have willingly decided not to defend themselves, but to rely on the Lord who designed them. In the next verse, you will see the willingness of God to defend his ambassadors, Moses and Aaron, as well as the design of a priest on full display. Saints, a priest is a mediator between God and man. You've already seen the poor examples where Aaron did that wrongly. You're about to see their full potential brought out. They will protect the future potential of the people of God and the very name of God before the nations. Their actions will ensure that one day it will be known that Adonai was able to bring his people out of Egypt through the desert and into the promised land. So let's take verse 43 together. Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. Look, there are a few astute biblical scholars in the room that 
are aware of the actions that they're about to take or not, explicitly not, what the Lord said to do. This is one of the rare moments when the sovereignty of God displays an incredible, dynamic capacity to preserve life. Who chose Moses and Aaron? Who designed Moses and Aaron? He put them there as mediators between God and man. See, when I was a young, younger, and even more rash man, learning to drive right around Josiah's time frame, in my neighborhood, I hit a trash can. One that was, you know, a little further from the curb than it should have been. Easy mistake to make when you've had your driver's license all of like two days. It was the trash can's fault. No, it was definitely my fault. And I incurred the wrath of the homeowner who was very concerned about his plastic trash can that got bumped to the extent where it was physically threatening, hostile, dramatic, and went on and on and on. When I finally was able to leave respectfully, which I was, and my father became aware of what happened, even though it wasn't heavily emphasized, the overwhelming wrath of a father was kindled. In the same way that God is filled with anger right now in a desire to protect his ambassadors who are being threatened and abused unjustly, my father wanted to have at least words with the man and was on his way to his house to do so. You know what that did in me? As a son who understands his security in the father, who understands the design that God gave me and that I too had failings in this, I caused the issue in a manner of speaking, I began to intercede with my father for the man. I was no longer concerned about what happened to me because I realized I'm entirely secure in my father's protection. There's not a chance that anything is going to happen to me because he is around. Moses and Aaron are demonstrating a reliance on the Father's protection, vindication, and affirmation of their lives that lets them rise and excel in their godly design in a unique and powerful way. These men are going to take action according to their original priestly design given to them by their Father, even though they were not directly told by God to do this in the moment. Something inside of them began to well up that caused them to intercede on behalf of the people who were persecuting them, as Romans 12 said. The very word and spirit of God that has led them, consecrated, and implemented them in their design for the people of God will move them to pleasing action. Let's get verse 46, Pastor. And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put fire on it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So what we see here is that Aaron engages fully in his consecrated and God-ordained priestly design. And in doing so, it gives us the perfect pathway for us to do the same, to see others face with the consequences of their actions. So it begins with, take your censer. 
This is the design that God has purchased for you, each and every one of you. You're part of his priesthood. Meaning that you take what God has put in your hands that are the tools of priesthood for the purpose of intercession for others. God has allowed your eyes to see what is plaguing others as a result of sin so that you can begin to do something about it through your priestly acts and design of intercession. Next, then you are to take fire only from the altar. You know what this is? You're taking fire from the very place of your own internal consecration. You have been to that altar. You have put your flesh to death. You have received the atoning blood of the lamb. And now you can stand confidently in your consecrated design and act with spiritual fervor. That fire of God that fuels your intercession for the behalf of others. Have you ever wondered how Jesus can say, pray for those who persecute you? Bless those who curse you? Yeah. It's because something should well up inside of you that is a spiritual fervor when you recognize the father that you have. The father that you have is a God who will be just in his judgment when he comes for those who persecuted you, those who cursed you. It ought to move you to the place where you recognize my father is just. He will bring judgment. But he put me here by his design. He gave me a censor. And he has given me access to the fire of God. Let me go intercede and see if we can fix this. Because we might be able to turn the tide before it's too late for you. It moves you with compassion for the world around you. Oh, what a glorious day it is whenever God transforms a fire in us that seeks to burn others to the ground. And he changes it to a fire that wants to see them resurrected from their state of death. Well, with the taking of the censer, adding fire to it, incense was to be brought to it. This incense is your praise. This incense is your prayer and ultimately your actions of joyful obedience. 1 Timothy 4, 5 says this, for it, is, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This fragrant rising of praise as you do what your God designed as a priest should be. Lastly, and here's the most important one. Come on. Carry it quickly. Come on. Run. That's what we saw Aaron do. He ran into the midst of of the people in the plague. You are to move quickly and run. Don't sit there and contemplate. Run to the very place of contention, the area that must be addressed now. God brought it to your attention, and he has equipped you with the design and the tools that are for their benefit. And the quicker that you get there, the more life can be preserved. So what we're saying to you is waiting to implement your godly design is just damning the souls that you're unaware of. And it's slowing the growth of those attached to you in your household. See, what Moses and Aaron had seen is in the example before with these 250 priests. This was the process that God had demonstrated in his word. And so they are now reflecting. Let me take my censer. Let me take this design that God has. Let me, let me put fire from the altar on it. Have a holy, consecrated moment. Let me lift up my prayers and my praise and my joyful obedience. And then I've got to run out. I've got to move quickly. With haste, I've got to move forth. 
It's not a time to contemplate. It's a time for action. See, haste, moving quickly in implementing your godly design is for the saving of lives. Come on. I'm going to say that again. When you have a haste about functioning in your consecrated godly design, it is for the saving of lives. It is for the furthering of the brotherhood. The building up of the brotherhood is done through you quickly moving to getting your consecration right with the Lord. Look at verse 47. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran. Somebody say he ran. He ran. He ran into the midst of the assembly. Come on, men of God. This is a great picture for you today. He didn't wait to see how it would develop. Where is the most difficult? What is the heart of the matter? That's what I'm running towards. This has got to be how we engage even with our own marriages. You don't see something wrong and just stay quiet until there's a better time. You run right into the midst of what's going on. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. You know, the very same people who were mumbling and grumbling and trying to kill them. Yes, he made atonement for them. And he stood between the dead and the living. He stood between the dead and the living. With so many, many, many men of God in here who are called into ministry, this should cause something to come alive and be set on fire within the inside of you. To run right into the heart of matter and stand between the dead and the living. And there the plague was stopped. And now those who had died in the plague were 14,700. Besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. Come on now church. Somebody say Aaron ran. Aaron ran. And, I must run. and I must run. See with all the haste he ran right into the center. His internal consecration was for the purpose of an external edification and life for his people. There was an atoning and pleasing sacrifice that was made as Aaron functioned fully in his design that had been purchased by the father. Standing in between the dead and the living is the epitome of a man who is holy, free, powerful, fulfilling his design because he knows the character of his father. The truth is that it is always a matter of life and death for us to boldly function in our God-ordained design. It's always a matter of life and death for you to function in your God-ordained design. This is because each member of the holy city belongs to one another and needs one another as living stones. The Bible says that the death toll is listed at 14,700. Church, that's with Aaron acting quickly. That's with him running to the heart of the matter. We will let you contemplate what the cost of contemplation is in this body, in your teams, in your family, and in your life. What happens when you are standing, contemplating, instead of running forward in your consecrated design? We will just say that it is costly to wait, to hide in timidity, or to be ensnared by sin. But it is equally powerful when you stand up and try with your censer that you already have and ask God to fill it with holy incense. You remember from Revelation 5 that God has purchased men through his own blood? When he purchased you, he purchased your design and he purchased your own blood. Aaron ran 
and nearly 15,000 people were still lost. What if he just was cowardly for a minute, wanted to mull it over, pray about it for a little while? Half of the nation would have been dead. Was God unjust in wanting to destroy and punish people who are not only rebelling against God, but trying to kill his prophet and priest? No. Not in the slightest. In the same way, I shared an example with you earlier. A father is not unjust for wanting to go confront a man who is physically threatening his son's life. But what had happened, or what would happen, if I waited to begin to intercede? What would happen if Aaron waited to intercede? See, the death toll rises all of the time. What we're trying to get you to understand is that although you are not seeing lives die, when you neglect to fully stand up into the man that you're called to be, your brothers feel it because they're not developed in the same way. Your wife feels it because she's not developed and presented spotless pure as a queen of God in the same way. Your children feel it. And many of you are working through children that are the work product of years past and now trying to take your stand. Don't wait. Take your stand. Every moment counts. Saints, together, we are approximating the direction of a close, and I mean that loosely. But we are just beginning to take the stand that we will for the rest of our lives in our God-ordained design as men who are purchased and precious and a part of the holy city of God. For the remainder of our time, we're going to focus on what it looks like to fan into flame the gift you already have, i.e. your godly design, while in the heat of battle. An excerpt from Spurgeon, while we were meditating, or while he was meditating on Galatians 5.17 and the battle for consecration in the light of the blood that purchased us, well, frankly, it's been strengthening the three of us in our own process of consecration. And we honestly don't have time to do it, but we're going to do it anyway because it's that good. Spurgeon says, In every believer's heart, there is a constant struggle between the old nature and the new. The old nature is very active and loses no opportunity applying all the weapons of its deadly armory against newborn grace within us. While, on the other hand, the new nature is ever on the watch to resist and destroy its enemy. Grace within us will employ prayer and faith and hope and love to cast out the evil. It takes unto it the whole armor of God and wrestles earnestly. These two opposing natures will never cease to struggle so long as we are in this world. The battle of Christian with Apollyon lasted three hours. But the battle of a Christian with himself lasted all the way from the wicked gate in the River Jordan. The enemy is so securely entrenched within us that he can never be driven out while we are in this body. But although we are closely beset, and often in sore conflict, we have an almighty helper. Even Jesus, the captain, the commander, the architect of our salvation. I.e. your designer. Who is ever with us and who assures us that we shall eventually come off more than conquerors through him. With such assistance, the newborn nature is more than a match for its foes. 
Are you fighting with the adversary today? Are Satan, the world, and particularly your flesh all against you? Be not discouraged nor dismayed. We say this morning, fight on, church. Fight on. For God himself is with you. Jehovah Nisi is your banner. Jehovah Rafi is the healer of your wounds. Fear not, you shall overcome. For who can defeat omnipotence? Fight on, looking unto Jesus. And through long and stern, though long and stern be the conflict, sweet will be the victory. And glorious the promised reward. From strength to strength, go on, wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. Come on. Come on now, church. The truth is, is that living in the godly design, expanding the territory the, to the full allotment of what God has given you is a full-time fight. You must develop this attitude that says, I will fight on. I will run to the battle and fight on because my God is with me. It's a fight worth having Amen. because it's directly connected to saving of the lives and building of the city of God. Church, you were purchased you were purchased for the purpose of continually being consecrated and bringing other people into holiness, bringing other people into freedom, bringing other people into the power that you have found in Christ. Our King in no way has limited the fulfillment of your design and lifespan. There's an enemy, there's an adversary that is out there that is fighting with you. He's trying to get you to be suppressed, to be chained to fear. He is working on it, but it is a fight that we must fight. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but God has come. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We're telling you a message today, church. We're telling you that the awakening that many of you have experienced is only the beginning of the consecration of your godly design. The path forward that you are already on, it starts with you acting on behalf of the king who purchased you. And he purchased you so that you might stand between the living and the dead. Come on. This is not just Aaron. This is you that has to learn to run right into the heart of the matter. Stand between the living and the dead so that you can rouse the brothers, rouse the sons, shake men, stir those around you to the exact same life that you are experiencing. The living and the dead exist in the world around us. They exist right here in this room and in your own families, even down to the children. So you got to rise up. You got to fight on. You got to run right where God is telling you to go. Saints, you don't feel equipped. You feel like it's a constant battle. You wonder when it won't be so hard. Be not dismayed. It is supposed to be a constant pressing fight to become all that you're called to be. But your captain, your architect, your designer has ensured your success. We say to you, refuse to let cowardice to cause you to give up or become a peacekeeper in your marriage, in your children or your work relations. Today, refuse to let self-promotion inhibit your ability to operate in sincere love. Take your stand and fight on. You must refuse to allow past failings in your own self-assessment because you are not the designer. Your king is to lower your evaluation of what a man of God should look like starting with yourself. 
Today we say you must ascend to all that God has called you to. To be in his design by putting your foot on the neck of cowardice. By putting your foot on the neck of inability. And then proceed to boldly and transparently share the works of Christ in your life. Calling all men to repentance in the same way you've experienced it. Reconciling them and reconsecrating them as men purchased by God. So that they too can participate in the city that is God's. You must ascend to all that God has called you to by being in his design fully, putting your foot on the neck of self-promotion. Then you can proceed to fight for those who are powerless in any area. You can do this by strengthening them with the testimony of God's word and spirit and your own experience in it. Saints, we don't need more men with ideologies, thoughts, and their own perceptions. We need men who know how to take their stand on the word even when they don't feel qualified. You must ascend to all that God has called you to. To be in his design by putting your foot on the neck of the things that have previously bound you and caused you to currently believe that you can't succeed. When you do this, you can proceed to stretch out into the new territory of your design that you believe Adonai has called you to. Pastor's going to enumerate some of the new territory that we know is coming from the lives in this room. Oh, how can we not start with the singles in our room? Single men and women, have you been purchased for God? Let me tell you unto what that is. It's to have a life worth adding to. Building a foundation that a home can rise from. But where it starts now is to have the actual courage to pursue what God's will is that leads to your future. What about you married men in the house? Have you been purchased for God? It is so that there is furthering of capacity of your Proverbs 31 woman by the works of your very hands as her high priest. Oh, what about you married ladies in the house? Exactly. Have you been purchased for God? That means that there is an expectation of greater uh, engagement in your daily interaction with the word. A greater grasp of God's truth so that you can transfer them to those around you. And more importantly, impart them into the hearts of your children. Because you are called and purchased for God. For the purpose of raising up a godly and righteous generation. Come on. How about those of you who operate in teams in this church? Give me a yeah. 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 You are purchased for God to make it your sole aim to edify your brother's calling more than your own. It is your priority to cultivate a unity that hell cannot break and sin cannot diminish. What about for all those in the room who are like the prophets of old? And like Jeremiah has ceased to say, I am only a child. Lord, the calling you have put on my life is too great and too grand. I am not fit for this task. Well, whether in ministry of the word, worship, or 101, you are to find the chutzpah to proclaim the words of God as you were originally designed to. He gave them to you in order to be spoken through you. So open wide your mouth and the living God will fill it. He will make you a bronze wall. He will make you a fortified city. 
He will make you into whatever is needed to match the task that he has ordained you to. Come on, I just want to echo what Pastor Matt just said. We're not talking about that you think yourself of being too young. We're thinking, we're talking about you thinking of yourself as not being qualified. I'm just a child. I can't do what God has actually called me to do. Because you could be saying, I am only a child and be 70 years old here in this room. Because you're only looking and feeling like God made the wrong design that he hasn't equipped you rightly. We're saying throw that aside and be consecrated in your design today. See, as Paul said, we're telling you today for this reason, I remind you, we remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is on you through the laying on of hands. This room is filled with men who are not willing to wait to one day be a Timothy. You are, as we sit here now, ministers of the gospel in your Amen. own life. It's time for you to take the authority of the design that God has given you and to expand it into every area that he puts before you without hesitation. That you fight on and you run right into the midst of it. Sam Booth, you're going to leave the lights on. I'm going to read Ephesians 2, which is our closing passage. But we're going to have a different kind of closing because you are ministers of the gospel. This is Ephesians 2, 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Saints, you are the picture of the holy city. In all of its diverse nature, different stones... God has given you each a unique design that it is time for you to take your stand in. Do not accept any more limiting factors. Do not accept anything other than what God says you are and rise up in that capacity. Saints, we say again, do not say I am only a child. It's time for you to recognize what God has called you to do in ministering to those that are around you. We're going to ask a few groupings of people to come up here. Spencer, Paul, Assad, if you could come down to the front, over to the left side of the stage. Abambola, Linton, and Adam, if you can come next to them. Justin Treister, Marlon, and Nolan, if you can come down over here. Carlos. Caleb and JJ, you can come on this side. Saints, as you're listening to this message, and you are a single person who is either in the process of developing a home that God can add to, or honestly are recognizing that the leaders in your life are saying you are worth adding to, but you're just afraid to see what it looks like to pursue someone. Then we're telling you, go see Spencer. Go see Paul and go see Assad. And these men are going to pray for you and you're going to find the faith to stand in what God has allotted to you. 
If you're recognizing through multiple sermons now and you're striving to make progress in your marriage and the design that God has given you, then go see Bim, Linton, and Adam. They're going to stand shoulder to shoulder with you and pray and ask the Almighty God to supernaturally empower you to new levels, to cause you to find your godly design and expand it so you can do the same for your wife, the same for your children. From the head of the household down to the children, these three men will stand with you and pray. If in your team you're laboring to embrace the godly design and remove selfish motives, to truly operate in what it looks like to have sincere love with one another, whether it's your household or between families, come see Justin Treister, Marlon, and Nolan. These men will pray for you. Something about Jeremiah's words, I am only a child, rings in your ears when you consider the fact that you're called to preach, that you're called to do more than you feel capable of right now. Carlos, Caleb, and JJ are going to pray for you that God would shake you from that so that you will cease saying, I'm only a child, and find the strength to proclaim his word to everyone that you meet, in your family, in your workplace, and in this very body. There are seven men that we want to call forward as well. We want to see Cody, Rob, Gabriel Stevens, Gabriel Sutherland, Timothy, Ibrahim, and Tisdale. You're going to join Carlos, Caleb, and JJ, and they're going to pray for you today because you men of God are called to proclaim his word and stand in ministry. Today we are going to pray and stand with you and ask our king for supernatural breakthrough in your life because you will stand and represent him. Before we begin to pray and you respond, I want to give you this direction. When you rise to your feet and come to any one of these groupings of men, come with a heart that is filled with expectation, that expects them to help you fan into flame the gift, the design that God has already put inside of you. Expect that you are going to receive aid in your internal consecration for the purpose of you being externally edifying. So Pastor Wade's going to pray and emulate Aaron and run quickly. Mighty God, we thank you for the internal consecration that is going on in this house right now. That men are rising in their God-ordained design, even in this moment. Lord, that the external edification of this house will be built because we need each precious stone to be added to build the very house of God. In Jesus' name.